Welcome to the OKC First podcast. Together, we're learning to do three things. Friendship with God. Friendship with one another. And open friendship for the sake of the world. For more information about OKC First, please visit OKCFirst.com. Today's scripture comes from Revelation chapter 22, verses 12 through 14. See, I am coming soon. My reward is with me to repay according to everyone's work. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they will have the right to the tree of life and may enter the city by the gates. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Caleb. Thank you, Tamara and Zach and everybody. Man, that, that song, increasingly, uh, the blessing wraps around my throat because it just so beautifully articulates what I want for us, uh, for you, your families, and all the generations to come, and for us. And sometimes it feels like the world's fighting against that. been asked uh, a couple times this week, so what are you going to say about all that's going on? Whether it's an entire denomination who has put out a list of their own predators, <laughs> or it's another nightmare, gun violence, uh, I don't know. And I, and I say, uh, deeply and convicted, I don't know, knowing that that is a profound disappointment to, to some folks. Like you, I don't know. I have some convictions that I, that I guess I would call educated guesses, but it's a, it's a profoundly Christian education. Uh, and if you'll forgive me, I've already been threatened with a walkout today. <laughs> Here's what I would say. I would say that you can look around and see all kinds of evidence that folks don't read Scripture very well. Now, there are folks outside of the believing community, and why would we expect that they would have a, a firm grasp on Scripture? But there are folks inside the tent, and I'm not just talking about Nazarenes. There are folks inside the tent that I would, I would submit sometimes go to Scripture in the hopes of recreating God in their own image. And sometimes when you go to Scripture like that, you tell Scripture what to say to you. I, I see a lot of that, and, and one of the places that you will, you will see the evidence for that kind of dynamic that I'm talking about is in a particular treatment or understanding of the book of Revelation. And in that particular treatment of the book of Revelation, and you've heard me go on and on about this, and you may be tired of it, well, lucky you, uh, this is the last Sunday for a while that I'll be speaking out of the book of Revelation, but that ugly interpretation goes something like this. 
This all is going to waste, and God will destroy it and take all of us night folks, nice folks that look just like us somewhere else. And if that's the way you understand the book, and by the book I mean the little book, Revelation, but the entirety of the other book, the big book that I would call the Bible, if that's how you understand it, does everyone understand that you will go about life in a particular way with a particular posture? If this is all disposable, and all that matters is the hereafter, so I have to do the requisite amount of soul care to make sure I qualify somehow for the hereafter, but I don't have to give a flip about the here or the now, that is a particular posture, and in some circles it qualifies as a Christian posture, and I want you to hear me say this, at the risk of you leaving, that is not what the Bible says. That is not what the Bible says. The Bible does not consider life to be simply a hallway between here and eternity. Friends, help me out here. God created creation, and at the end of every day, he called it what? And that is not just good looking. It is that. But it's good. It's good. When read, when read properly, I'm choosing my words because I know that this is already being live streamed and it will be clipped, I know, right? When read properly, you get an opposite interpretation of Revelation and then the whole narrative of Scripture. It's, it doesn't do away with the hereafter or the eternal. But what you see and sense and hear is a God who has so invested God's self in life and in lives that you get the impression that all of it is precious. Life in all of the lives. All of the lives. And so faith becomes the posture that you take to honor God's commitment and investment in life and all of the lives. And friends, it needs to be, it needs to take the form of policy as well. And all God's people really ought to say, Amen. Book of Revelation says that the wedding between the bride, the church, the people of God, and the bridegroom, Jesus, is accomplished. It's accomplished. And the death, the resurrection, the ascension, by the way, this past Thursday was Ascension Day, the ascension of Christ, and then the giving of the Spirit, the union of God and God's people is accomplished. The wedding has happened. The marriage is ongoing. You like that? And where God has chosen to live with God's bride is here, y'all. It's here. It's here, and it's now. And I still wholeheartedly grip the hereafter with both hands. But an abdication of the here and now in service of the hereafter is a profound misunderstanding of God in faith. Profound. Like, I, I'm, I'm willing to buy the coffee, but I'm going to tell you as we have coffee, you have missed the beat. 
And so we are to be today in this little locale as the people of God, this particular outbreak of the body of Christ. We are to be today what we believe God wants to be true of us everywhere, of all of creation. But it it is an already but not yet kingdom. It is now but is not yet. We're the now, and as the now, as the spouse, we are supposed to behave and operate in ways that communicate what God wants to be true everywhere and eternally. Does this make any sense? If you are waiting for God to destroy all of your enemies in God's name, God loves you. You just don't yet love God the way God wants you to. You're welcome here. You likely will not help us shape policy. So let me just confess what I've been doing. I have decided with the help of my predecessors and with the help of board members and with the help of very talented staff members, I have been convinced that faith must have skin on it. That we are the already and the now and a part of the not yet of God's kingdom. But we are the now. And since we are the now, things need to take a particular shape. And not just inside the room, but as best we can in our influence outside of the room. Still ready to say amen? Anybody? Okay. So what I've been doing, I've tried to host events that are asking the right questions. We had, I told you this couple, uh, I think Sunday, if not two Sundays ago, we had an event here not too long ago, a couple Saturdays ago. We gathered in police officers who came with their guns. And we gathered in other activists from around the city and sitting elected officials and people who are running for office. And we asked the same question. We asked a good question. How can there be less gun violence, please? It's getting kind of political. Stop. (laughs) I think it's God glorifying to have less gun violence. Anybody else agree with me? Can you stop? It's it's not a partisan thing. It's this deep-seated belief that God loves life and has offered us as stewards of that life. Beyond that, I, I just have decided, and some of it's because I, I, I continue to learn and read about this what John Wesley character who spent the, the last era of his life interviewing candidates, talking about policy, walking the halls of power, saying, no, if we are the now, if we're part of the now that is also not yet, then we, we need to have a say, we need to have a voice. And so I've been asking judges, well, what do you think? And if they ever make the mistake of asking me, what do I think, I tell them. (laughs) So I've tried to have relationships, good, working, healthy, I believe, gospel-based kingdom relationships with folks who make decisions around very nice tables. Because I believe... I believe that's what the bride of Christ is supposed to be and do. Hey, 
uh, I don't experience that as partisan. If you do, I'm sorry. It may be a you thing. I probably, let's edit that out. Let's take that out. <laughs> it's unkind. I'm sorry about that. But I am doing the best I possibly can. I'm doing the best I possibly can to pastor in a way that allows us, not just me, but all of us, to understand ourselves as an outbreak of God's intention for life. And we don't do it super well all the time. But that's what I'm trying to do, to pastor so that we can do and be and say all those things with credibility. By the way, there's a wedding coming up. Uh, and somehow we fouled up the invitations. I'm not sure how, and there's an investigation. We've launched a whole investigation. Not sure what's going to turn up, but many of your invitations came back to us. And I'm not quite sure what to do about that, except that it has always been the intention to invite the church to this wedding, which happens, as you can see, on June 4th, 2022, at 6 p.m. in this room. And part of the reason that we want to invite the church is because the church, this is the only church that Taylor's ever known. This is the only church um, that our marriage has ever known. So who better to come alongside? Who better to come alongside and help us celebrate than you guys. And uh, I mean that you guys to include those of you who walked into this room for the first time, as long as you're nice, right? <laughs> Today. And those of you who have been here as long as I have or longer. It, this is a family of faith celebration. And, and you're invited. Good grief, that dog does not look like that anymore. That is a monster dog now. <laughs> Sheesh. But Revelation 22 comes at a, an interesting time for the father of the bride. Because there's so much about Revelation in total. But really, these last couple of chapters, there's so much marital language and theology in it. And I hope you'll see it. So it comes at a very interesting time. It's made me kind of think through my role, not just as father of the bride, but as pastor in a church where, <laughs> guys, I have such a cush job here. I, I've convinced Jason to do all the funerals, and I get to do all the weddings. Amen, right? <laughs> Which means then I, I have a lot of opportunities to do premarital counseling. And here's this awful question to, that I ask, that I ask every, every couple that comes to me. Uh, asked Anna and Stetson not too long ago, why are you getting married? What does God get out of this? What, what is the kingdom benefit of this particular wedding? And hear me, it's not that I'm trying to discourage them. I don't want them to not get wedding, but I do want the couple to see the power and the potential, the possibility of a marriage shaped and empowered and informed by the love of God that we see in Christ. Listen, when a marriage is organized like that, God is doing something in and through those people. 
When a marriage is organized like that, that's where you find consolation. Make sense? And this is the last Sunday that we will have this particular sermon series. We, we do something different starting next week. Um, consolation, though, and this is what we've said about consolation, a person or a church, I would say, dwells in a state of consolation when she or he or they are moving toward God's active presence in the world. We know we are moving in this way when we sense the growth of love or faith or mercy or hope. If I am or if we are becoming more kind, more compassionate, more empathetic with people, and I experience this movement as life-giving and Christ-like, I am in a state of consolation. Can you see where that would make for a great marriage? And can you also see that it's meant to go beyond our homes where the marriages are taking place? It's meant to go all the way out into all of creation, all in service of life, abundant life. Not death, life. So, because this bridegroom has come that we may have life and abundant life, you know I'm just quoting Jesus there, right? Life to the full, boundless life. And because we receive these words, not just as a promise we will enjoy it, and it is that, but also as a calling that tells us how we are to go about being the bride of Christ, how we walk around or dance around, actually, I'll come back to that, being who we are, Christians, the bride of Christ, the church. It's a gift. It's also a calling. And this particular passage, Revelation 22, and actually all of Scripture is about the bridegroom. It's also about the bride, and, and, and not so much the wedding day itself that we've already kind of, talk, kind of talked about, but it's about the potential now of the marriage itself. There is more to be done, room to grow, better and deeper bonds between us and Christ, more places to go, more good to do. But Jesus, and you need to know this, have, has already accomplished the wedding part more than we could ask or imagine. So as we move back to this word, and I've had uh, an email conversation with Dr. Tashin this week. Again, if you have complaints about today's sermon, I invite you to email Gerard at okcfirst.com. <laughs> but as we move through this passage, I want to tell you that there's a, there's a grammatical thing we've got to pay attention to here. We have so forced the book of Revelation into the future that we only wear our glasses, our future tense glasses, when in reality, that's not even what the verbs say. The verbs do understand that there is more work to be done, that there is a future to be enjoyed. But it has already started in the victory of the cross and in the resurrection. Okay, that being the case, I'm going to read through this passage, and I'm going to do some editing on the fly that Dr. Tashin and I, I want to keep saying that, believe is still faithful to the reading of Scripture. For example, Jesus says, see, I am always in the business of arriving. It is a present reality that extends into the future. Now, if you, if you subtract that out and all you have is the future tense glasses, then what you get is Christ isn't here and someday he will come and man, he's gonna be mad when he gets here. Can you see where you get all that? But that's not what it says. What it says is, Jesus says, I am always in the process of arriving 
It says this throughout, by the way, and it's really going to be poignant when we get to the end. I am always in the process of arriving, and my reward is always in the process of coming with me to repay everyone according to everyone's work, day in and day out. I am, says Jesus, the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Now we have marriage language here. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they will have the right to the tree of life and may enter the city by the gates. Now, you don't, maybe you don't even see the marriage language there, but Jesus has already said earlier in the book, these are the people who belong with me. These are the people who will be at my side. These are my covenant partners, the people who wash their robes in the blood of the lamb. Now we've already said this, I'm just reminding you, the image of Christ that dominates the book of Revelation and if you're really honest with yourself, the image of Christ that dominates the entirety of Scripture is not the lion. It's the lamb. And, by the way, it's not just the lamb. It is the always slain lamb. In other words, this God never stops suffering love for us. And to be a covenant partner, to wash our robes, means that we also adopt the same posture, the same truth as an organizing principle. And so let me ask you, have you? What does it look like in your life to suffer love? It may look different from what it looks like in my life, but friends, you and I need to look like we are suffering love. Because this is what the marriage expects. This is what the marriage entails. Identification with the, with the groom in baptism, but also in the rest of of life as a way of life. And the result is access to the tree of life. Now, that is a term we've heard. And, uh, just so you know, I do think this is the same tree that we see in Genesis 2 and 3, the tree of life. Access to which grants boundless life. Now, do you mean innumerable days? Sure, I think I mean more than that because, again, it starts now a boundlessness to life. In other words, Christians who enjoy access to the tree of life should be people of great audacity, believing that somehow, because they are the bride of Christ, that they can have a say on things like gun violence. As long as it sounds like Jesus speaking in and through you. Got it? But this tree of life, okay, they may have also heard something else or read something else when they read it in the first audience. There was an Ephesus, big city at the time, the great temple of Artemis. And in the middle of this temple of Artemis, there was this beautiful garden. And in the middle of that particular garden, there was a tree that they called the tree of life. And here's what they meant. Here's what they meant. Anyone convicted of a crime, I kid you not, this is part of their lore. Anyone convicted of a crime, if they could somehow elude the powers that be, the police, the Ephesian Police Department, EPD, right? If they could somehow elude their captors, if they could ever get to where they could touch the tree, they were immediately granted immunity from punishment. It's like they got another lease on life. I think that's intended as well. Access to this tree of life. Yes, there's a boundlessness to it, but there is always another chance at life when you are part of the bride. Now, verse 15. 
Outside, now this is actually not in the uh, lectionary because it's almost like the people who shaped the lectionary didn't want us to say really ugly words today, but I'm going to read them to you anyway. Ready? Here it comes. Outside are the dogs, the sorcerers. I don't think they're talking about nice dogs. Outside are the dogs, the sorcerers and fornicators and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood or lies. You see, it's a marriage. And like every good marriage, the marriage comes with covenantal boundaries. And just like my marriage, and just like your marriage, so long as it's good, some things aren't welcome in there. Right? Like lies. Like ugliness. And sin and violence. This is a particular kind of place, this new city, this, this marriage. It's a particular kind of place. And since it's a particular kind of place, then some things aren't welcome. And I would remind us that we are an outbreak of that really good place. It stands to reason that there would be some things that would not be welcome here, right? Move on, John. Okay. Verse 16, and as I, Jesus, who sent my angel to you with this testimony for the churches, I am the root and the descendant of David the bright and morning star, because, y'all, this has always been about Jesus. This has always been about Jesus, who is both the root and the descendant. And please don't forget this. This Jesus is that God. And this marriage has been the dream of God from the beginning. And again, this wedding has happened. In all that God in Christ has done to make it happen, the cross, the resurrection, the ascension, the giving of the Spirit, maybe in this sense you think of the ascension as God kind of taking in and lifting up with this giant deep breath, but then the giving of the Spirit is this eternal breath, wind, Spirit that's given back to us to give life to this, this relationship that we enjoy with Christ. And by the way, as you're going to start to see in these next few verses, this God who is never not exhaling, providing us with this marriage, providing us with this, this breath and this spirit that's supposed to fuel and fund this marriage relationship, this same God is always inviting as well. You're going to see that coming up. A wedding is where a public invitation is extended and responded to. But as we all know, I hope... The decision to be married and stay married isn't contained to a single ceremony on a specific day. Each day, each moment, the marriage is a choice, <laughs> a decision, a response to that moment's invitation. You and I, as, as people who are functioning members of the bride of Christ, we are never not getting this invitation from God, from the groom to step closer, to love better, to dance a while longer. Another passage I could have preached from today comes in John 17. Listen to the, ver to the words of Jesus and, and understand these, these words against what I'm saying to you about the wedding and now the marriage. Jesus says, in praying for us, I ask not only on behalf of these, but also on behalf of those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one. As you, Father, are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given them, so that they may be one as we are one, I and them and you and me, that they may be completely one, so that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Friends, 
How would it change your day-to-day life if you lived with a constant understanding that you were, are, and will be, or at least can be, the functioning bride of Christ, a part of the, of the functioning bride of Christ, meant to, given the resources that we are given in this marriage, meant to put the same kind of skin and flesh on life that Jesus does. And in fact, Jesus does continue to put skin and flesh on this particular kind of life in and through the spirit-filled bride. What, what if you lived your Monday at work? What if you lived your Monday at home with that pesky neighbor? Lord knows we all have. What if you lived your Monday with that troublesome family member, but you lived all of those circumstances with this deep-seated sense that you are, in fact, a part of what we understand to be the bride of Christ, the now of the kingdom that is also not yet? Would it change how you argue? Would it change how you do business? Would it change how you disagree? (laughs) Okay. Go back to the marital language, because really it's going to be loud here. But also, listen now for how these verbs say perhaps something more and perhaps something better than what we thought the first time we read it. The spirit and the bride say to the groom, Jesus, okay, we hear you. And not only do we hear your invitation, but we say back to you because we know that this marriage is a choice. Come on. Continue. Keep on coming. Keep on coming. It's not like Jesus left us alone. We aren't an abandoned at the altar bride. Yes, we believe that there is something more coming. Yeah, I I believe that too. I believe that there will be a completion to all it is that God is doing. But I don't assume that because I'm just waiting for a completion, I I don't assume that there is nothing now. There's nothing for us now. In fact, man, God went way out of God's way to say, no, I am giving you a presence. I'm giving you spirit and life and breath because... This is a hard truth, and and really, friends, I would submit to you that this way of reading Revelation that I believe to be faithful, and by the way, historically accurate, it's only in the last couple hundred years that we've really gotten involved in Nicolas Cage movies. I'm sorry, I don't know how else to say that, right? It's really a fairly recent phenomenon. Really, the way that we have been reading it for thousands of years, the way that we've been reading it says, no, the marriage already is We are, as the people of God, an outbreak of the now, while we always acknowledge the not yet of it. But this is a hard way to go about revelation. I get it, because what we're saying, what we're saying to one another is this. Yeah, we're meant to identify, unite ourselves with this one who understood power in very particular ways, symbolized not by the lion, but by suffering love and the lamb. The one who testifies to these things says, I am always about to be there. Yes, we believe in the future part, but we also, 
I needed this deep breath this week. Believe in the now part too. Within arm's reach. Amen. Keep on arriving, Lord Jesus. And this is not a throwaway line, everybody. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with all of us trying to be saints. And then there's that very dangerous word, amen. Abraham Heschel says this about this word piety. His life lived in a manner that is compatible with God's presence. Here's a quote by Joseph Britton who is writing about Heschel. He says, the pious man or woman is someone who recognizes the divine presence as a reality that irresistibly breaks into the most ordinary of human circumstances with an overwhelming deluge of both grace but also judgment. God seeks out human beings to be in partnership with God's purposes of justice and mercy, yet God also reacts with dismay at the indifference and aggression of human beings toward one another and toward creation. The pious person desperately wants to be part of God's activity in the world, consolation, and so keeps on praying that the Lord will keep on arriving. Boom. (laughs) So the wedding proposal has happened. The answer has been given. A resounding yes resulting in a love relationship between Christ and the bride of Christ. That is, that can, and that will change things everywhere that love is announced and embodied. So you are invited to the wedding ceremony where Taylor and Brady are concerned. But please know this. Now through the life and death and resurrection and ascension of Christ and the subsequent giving of the Spirit, the marriage is off and running. That marriage is off and running, and there's always room for you your family members, your neighbors, your friends, but also your enemies, your opposites, and your irritants. There will be a reception uh, following the wedding on Saturday. It's downtown, details in your digital worship folder. Please see that. But each week around this table, it's something like a reception. I mean, if you think about it, Receptions are meant to be celebrations, not an ending, but a beginning. (laughs) Receptions are an embodied communication of support and a message of we're in this thing together. And the table is very much like that, but we shouldn't understand it as an inning, as a destination, the period at the end of that sentence, but it is a beginning. For some, it is salvific, and it is ultimately a beginning. For many of us, it's the beginning of another week a moment of renewal for us, but still an embodied communication of mutual support and a message of we're in this together. Yes, us with one another, but also God with us. Here around the table, vows are renewed each week, and Lord knows we need it, since each week can be a challenge, right? Here, we remember the story of the beginning of our bond with God, when God first said yes to us, and grants us opportunity each week to remember and renew our yes to God. And our yes to God should be understood as an invitation in response to an invitation. If you are saying yes to God, it's not just that you are eating and drinking and that's the end of it. 
but you're also making yourself available to whatever it is that God wants to do in and through you. And I keep saying this to us. I want you to eat so much communion bread that is taken, blessed, broken, and given until somehow you're starting to think, man, I think I'm becoming the bread that is taken, blessed, broken, and given because, friends, that's your yes. So will you say yes today? If you're helping us, please come now and set the table. Heavenly Father, bless these elements in this small moment of celebration, in this small reception. Bless these elements, God, and in our eating and our drinking today, may we be energized and fueled and funded and organized. Yes, to remember the story and to renew our vows, to be recipients of grace that we could never imagine, but also, God, that we might be conduits of this grace to a world that so desperately needs conduits to grace, to a world that so desperately needs us to be conduits of this life-giving grace. In a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet, to exit your pews to the left, and to come forward with your hands cupped to receive these gifts, tangible reminders of God's yes to you. As you approach the person holding a plate of bread, that person will say to you, this is the body of Christ broken for you. And every time, every time you eat of it, please remember who it is that started this dance, who started this relationship. So take that piece of bread, dip it into the cup. There'll be somebody holding a cup right next to the person holding the bread. Dip it into the cup when you do. That person will say, and this is the blood of Christ shed for you, and then take and eat. And then if you would, find a place to pray. It can be at one of these kneeling benches here. It can be at the side padded altars. If you go there, we're going to assume that you're there for a prayer for healing. And somebody will meet you there and pray that prayer. Lee, if you could kind of watch this one over here. And Pastor Jim, if you could watch this one over here. You might also want to take a trip over here, this is to me, for me, where the vow renewal happens, when I remember that I was baptized. I still remember the moment. And now I know that in that moment, I was identified with the life and the death and the resurrection of Christ. And I remember as I touch this water that I too belong in this group of people now known as the bride of Christ, the church, people of God. Who is invited? Well, all of you are invited. <laughs> None are compelled, but all are invited. All of you who understand your need for grace, you're invited to take part. And I hope that this moment does for you what it always does for me. It causes me to remember that it doesn't start with me, but that it can continue with me. So on the night that he was betrayed, that our Savior took bread and he blessed it and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body, broken by you and for you. And every time you eat of it, remember me. Same way later he took the cup, held it up before them and said, and this is my blood, the blood of a brand new covenant now, 
brand new covenant. And every time you drink of it, including today and here, 2022, OKC first, remember that this all starts with the love that extends itself to you. Remember me, says Jesus. And now, if you do not want to come and come forward, it's okay. There are people in the aisles who have these prepackaged elements, and if you just soon take part like that, that is perfectly fine. We've already done the ritual. As soon as you get it, go ahead and eat and drink. And now for the rest of us, if you would, stand to your feet, exit your pews to the left, and come forward to receive these gifts of God meant for the bride of Christ, the people of God. We're still coming in the interest of time. I'm gonna go ahead and, and pray a prayer of confession before turning it over to Jason for prayers of consolation. And Jason will finish up with the Lord's Prayer. And so God, we make ourselves vulnerable to you. Give us the courage now to consider how it is that we may have even this week each of us, including the pastor, how we may have fallen short of the label that we carry day in and day out, a bride of Christ. How have we, God, fallen short of this particular standard and definition of love that we see displayed so beautifully in Christ? And now may God drift your mind 
to any moment this week when perhaps you, like me, fell short. And I would encourage you now to confess that as you pray. did confess something as I have today, may these words bring both comfort and confidence to you as we move forward. May the Almighty God have mercy on us and forgive us all our sins through our Lord Jesus Christ. Strengthen us in all goodness and by the power of the Spirit, keep us in eternal boundless life. I want to thank you for the ways in which through this Easter season you have prayed these prayers of consolation with me and with Pastor Tamara. And this is our last week in these moments and just want to encourage you once again as you take your seats to take that posture of consolation which will be to put those feet flat on the ground and to lift your palms up just like this and to see what God would have for us. And this is just about minute-long prayer. Pastor John has referenced just the heaviness of the week that has been. And I want you to receive this blessing this week. It's right from the song that our worship team sang from us early this morning. It's out of number six, verses 24 to 26. So I'm gonna read this through about three times. Could you just receive this blessing over your life as you place your feet flat on the ground and open up your heart, your hands, and your life to these words. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. In that same posture, you're gonna hear this three times, but here's for the second time out of the book of Numbers. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Whatever trouble or hurt or hardship or chaos, hear these words one last time in a prayer of consolation. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. And now you can take whatever posture of prayer is most comfortable as we continue in moments of prayer, prayer of intercession and prayers for peace. And so God, we pray for peace this morning for all who need it the most. God, we pray for, per- we pray for peace in world areas that are experiencing war and violence. And in that, God, we ask you to be with Rhonda and Carl Windrill missionaries in the Church of the Nazarene on the border of Ukraine and Poland, and many others who are giving their lives for those who need help. God, we pray for peace in Uvalde, Texas, and other areas around this world who've experienced violence and gun violence. 
we pray for peace. God, we pray for peace in the families around this congregation who need, God, your loving grace and presence and peace. God, we ask that you would particularly be with a few families, like the Dawkins family. God, we ask for peace and healing in the life of Diane, that you'd come alongside of Brett and the boys. God, we pray for peace in the life of Scott Peterson and healing from cancer and strength. And God, we ask you to be with Katie and their family. God, we pray for peace and healing for Sadie Quarter. So faithful, the Quarter family, to watch online each week. Sadie, I hope you're watching now and can see that we love you and are praying for you and praying for your upcoming surgery here in just a couple of weeks and praying for peace. What a treat to see our friend Jane Sparopoulos this morning here. And God, we pray for Jane. And we pray for peace. And God, you would be with her. God, we would ask that you'd be with all who have experienced loss. God, we ask that you'd be with all who have experienced heartbreak, all who are lonely and hurting. God, we pray for those of our friends who are incarcerated. God, and we ask that you would come alongside of all who need you the most. And as our pastor many years ago used to always pray in the moments before the Lord's Prayer, would we all pray for that one life whose heart is heavier than all of our hearts? And together as a church body, would you pray for that one person, whether they're watching online or here with us? But there's one heart here who's heavier than all of our hearts. And God, we ask you to be with that one who needs you the most. God, would you transform us to be your people who look like you week in and week out, reciting this prayer, the prayer you taught your disciples to pray. And church, it'll be on the screen in front of you, whether you're at home or here with us, if you're not familiar with us. But as we pray this prayer, we hope that we become this prayer. Let's pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.